right, so getting into the word of the Lord. Um, we're, we've been going through a, a series in the book of Philippians, and we, we've talked about uh, the, the, just an overview of this Philippian church, the church at Philippi. There, there was a division, and that's the reason that this book was written. There was a division. It doesn't say exactly what they were divided over, but it's about a division, and it, it, this, this book is working to restore a unity in the church at Philippi. That's the overall purpose of this, the reason this letter, Paul wrote this letter um, to the church of Philippi. He's in prison, he, he's in bonds, and he is getting ready to go, and we're going to look at this next week, make a defense for the gospel. And, and he views this as, as, as if the gospel itself, were on, not that he's on trial, but as if the gospel were on trial. And he's going to go and make a defense of the gospel, a defense and a confirmation of the gospel, and we're going to look at that next week. We've looked at the fact that Paul represents himself as a servant. He presents Timothy, who is, has the, uh, the attitude of a servant that served with him as a bondservant. He presents the, the revelation of Jesus in this letter. There's a revelation in all of the books of the Bible. There is a revelation of Jesus. And the general revelation in this book is that Jesus humbled himself and became a servant. See, the way that we overcome these divisions that are in the body is through serving. We've talked about that. We looked at how the, this was addressed to the saints the deacons and, and uh, the, the uh, bishops and deacons at that church. It was written to a church body, right? The saints of God along with the leadership, the bishops and deacons of that church. We looked at that. And uh, so we're, this is just kind of giving you an overview of where you are. For those of you who may not be tracking with us all the way through so far, just to get you caught up to speed. Last week we looked at the fact that we have been called into the fellowship of the gospel. We are called into this to participate together. We, we can't do this Christian life alone. God's called us to do this thing together. And so we looked at that last week. I'm loving preaching uh, th- this way, expositional type preaching where we're going verse by verse through uh, a particular book of the Bible. We're gonna, and, and there will be some, I will interject some one-off sermons this year at different points throughout the year, but we're gonna be working through this book of Philippians probably for the most, most of this year uh, with, with some other things inserted. Pastor Bill is getting ready to come here in a couple weeks and speak. My wife, Rachel, is coming to speak. She's going to talk about, uh, about dealing with anxiety right out of this book. Looking forward to that. Uh, Stephen Beatty shared with us a couple of uh, weeks ago, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Amen. We, we, we have access to the mindset of Christ. We have access to the mind of Jesus. Think about that. Amen. And we're going to, that's going to play a little bit into what we're going to look at today. So we're going to talk about from the inside out today. And our text is Philippians chapter 1. Verses 3 through 11. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident, and this is where we're going to focus in on this verse, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. And as much as both in my chains and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. So God's doing a work in us. He's going to complete it. We're confident that he's going to complete it. And it's 
working in us by grace. We are partakers of the grace of God. Verse eight, for God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all within, with, with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of, of Christ, being filled, filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. So, verse six, he says, I'm confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the coming of the Lord, the, retur the return of Jesus. Verse 7, he talks about the fact that we're partakers of grace. This work that God is doing in us is by God's grace. And I think in verses 9 through 11, he really gives a great description that, that our love may abound. And, and these words are they're, they're words of abundance and of growth. Look at this, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, right? May, may we have a spirit that approves the things that are excellent, not latching on to inferior things, not settling for the inferior, but approving that which is excellent, that you may be sincere. I mean, the real deal kind of Christian, that we would really be like Jesus, that our lives would have a sincerity, sincera, right? That's a Spanish term. It's a term that speaks of a pot in the Greek language. They would, they would these pot makers would take crack pots and they would patch them and paint over that patch and sell it as if it were a a real uh, solid pot. It had a defect, in a, in a, but they were trying to cover that up. Like, we don't want to be those kind of covered up, kind of fake Christians. But that we would sincerely have the nature of Christ. That we would sincerely live this thing out. Right? That you would be sincere and without offense. That's, there's a whole sermon series coming on that one. Without offense till the day of Christ being filled, filled with the, right, the, the, the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and the praise of God. So th this is the work that's going on in the inside of us. It's, it's to do all of this in us. God is working in us so that all the, that we would be filled more and more, that we would approve the things that are excellent, that we would be sincere, that we would be without offense. Right? And remember, this is an offended church. They're a divided church. They're in conflict. They're offended with each other. And he's saying, hold on a second. Jesus is doing a better work in you than that. And I'm confident that he's going to complete it. Right? That's the encouragement of this letter. He's writing to them to encourage them in this, that God is going to work in you something far better than what's actually manifesting in your lives right now. That, that's the purpose of Paul. What is the goal? The goal of our Christian walk it, it, Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. 
says, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again, until, you, until Christ is formed in you. So that, that is the goal of our Christian life. 1 John 2, 6 says that all that say they live in God should live as Jesus lived. That's the goal, the aim of our Christian life. I, t- I give you the quote all the time of David Cook when he's asked what it means to be a Christian. It means to behold him, to become like him, and to beam forth his light. That's the essence of what this Christian life is all about. It's beholding Jesus, becoming like him, and living out that life. That's the purpose of our Christian life. That's why when you got saved, when you came down to that altar and got saved or prayed by your bedside or wherever it was that you got saved, that Jesus didn't just kill you right there and take you to heaven. Because you have a purpose on this earth. It's to live as he lived. It's to represent him, to be ambassadors of his message, of his kingdom, of his gospel, to live out a lifestyle that reflects his glory and his nature, to the, to the glory and the praise of God. Amen. That's why we're here. That's the aim of all this. So how does all this work? We're going to walk through some scripture. We're going to talk about the doctrines of, of sanctification today. Sanctification, it's God working in us that his character would be manifest in our lives. It's the doctrine of sanctification. God is working that out. Now, you, you have been regenerated. If you are born again, if you have been saved, you have been regenerated. And you have been justified. When you stand before God on judgment day, you have already been justified. And you will stand in the person of Jesus Christ. And all of the judgment of your sin and wickedness has already been put on him and it's gone before you. Amen? It's been dealt with because of what Jesus did at the cross. So we have been justified, but we are being sanctified. It's an ongoing process. God is sanctifying us. It's a part of our Christian walk. He's making us more and more like Jesus every single day. That's the process of sanctification. So we're going to talk about that. And that works by grace, right? It's not because we're trying to be better people, but it's the grace of God working in our hearts. I hope we can see that by the time we get done to this. So we're gonna look through some scripture. This, this doctrine is almost every single epistle or letter in the New Testament, this doctrine is, is hidden in there to be mined out. And it is a beautiful truth. And I, I pray that as we see this, that it begins to change the way that we live our lives, that we wouldn't settle for, for statements that says, well, this is just the way that I am. Well, my, my dad was like this. I, I've, I've inherited g- genetics. My, you know, he was an angry man. I'm going to be an angry man. No. I want you to see by the end of this message that God has given us a better disposition than that. God has regenerated. He has regened us. I want you to think about the most excellent genetics of mankind. Think of the most superior athletes and their, their physical abilities. Their stature, their height, their strength, their, their, their speed and uh, dexterity and all these great physical attributes. Now think of the most wealthy men. Think of the Bezos and, and uh, uh, the, the Musks and, and all of these men who have piled great masses of wealth because of, of their, their wisdom and understanding in the things of, of business and the world and whatever it is kind of product that they have put out. Think of the moral excellence that those men have. There there is a a virtue of excellence that they they exhibit. Think of some of the greatest thinkers on the planet. Think of some of the wisest men. What if we had an opportunity to take all of those great attributes and be partakers of those? 
I've got one better than that. We're going to see this through this message today. We can be partakers of the nature of God who is far and away greater and superior and more excellent than any of these men and their virtues can even begin to understand. We are made partakers of the nature of God. This happens through the process of sanctification, through the grace of God working in our lives to sanctify us and make us like Jesus. Ephesians chapter 3. And I'll say that not one of those men, the greatest athlete, the greatest businessman, the most intelligent person, not one of them, Mother Teresa, not one of them can hold a candle to Jesus Christ. Not even a flicker of the virtue that's in Jesus. It's far and away greater, the virtue of Jesus Christ. So in Ephesians chapter 3, when he, we're going to read through some, some passages of Scripture, and we're going to pull out this truth that God's working in us from the inside out. God is working in us. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, When I think of this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength, inner strength through his spirit. It's grace working in us, but it works by his spirit. I, I want to I tell you, we, we've been sold the bill of goods. The, the, the spirit-filled life is not some special form of Christianity. It is the essence of Christianity. It's, we, we are a spirit-filled people, right? I, I was with a, a Baptist brother of mine. This, this man is uh, brilliant. He's actually a lecturer at the uh, Southern Seminary. We were at a basketball game this week, and I was talking to him, and we were talking about this thing of life in the spirit. And, and he actually believes in the infilling of the Holy Spirit and the manifesting gifts. He's not a complete cessationist. We were talking, and I, I said something about we spirit-filled Christians, and I said, I'm sorry. I apologize to him, because that's to imply that you do not have the Spirit of God living in you. And he said, I get it. He said, I get it. That's the framework that you grew up with, right? We, we always saw people that weren't Pentecostal and didn't, weren't this charismatic and manifesting gifts and all this. We always saw them as if they lived an inferior life. The reality is if anyone is born of God, the Spirit of God is on the inside of them. Whether or not those gifts are manifesting outwardly is a different question, but the Spirit of God lives on the inside of them. That's a reality. If the Spirit of God is not living on the inside of us, then we are not His. We haven't been born again. When we were born again, the Spirit is awakened on the inside, the inner man. There's a new birth that takes place. We are born of the Spirit, born from above. There's a new birth that takes place. And it's infantile in its nature. That has to mature. That's the process of sanctification. It's the maturing of that inner nature coming forth. Inner strength through the Spirit. Verse 17, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. May you have power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide 
how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then, check this out, you will be made complete with all fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more, infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Do you see the glorious working of God and the purpose, the intent of it? it, it it's for greater glory. It's for greater things. It's, it's for an abundance being worked in us, right? On the inside, by his spirit, through his grace, God working in us that the nature of his son, Jesus Christ, would be shaped in our lives. There's a beautiful, beautiful picture of this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. This is the passage where Peter says that God has made us to be partakers of his divine nature. Think about that. We have made, been made to be partakers of his divine nature. The nature of God, if you were a born-again, spirit-filled believer, the nature of God resides inside you. And we're called to allow God to work this out in us, to manifest the spiritual maturity in our lives. Second Peter chapter 1, let's, let's look at it. Verse one, this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, and I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. Check this out. May God give you, again, more and more grace and peace. We talked about those words earlier on in this series. As you grow, as you grow, listen, secret. If you're not growing, something's wrong. If you're not growing in grace, you need to examine your heart. If you're not growing in your walk with Jesus, it's time for some introspection. We should be growing. Things that are alive grow. Amen? You think about it. For the first 18 years of our life, we grow this way, and the rest of our life, we grow this way. Healthy things grow. Right? It's God's intent that we be fat green saps. That's in the Bible. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a fat green sap. <laughs> Sounds funny. But those, those are analogies of life, that we're growing, that the, the, the sap is there, that, that, that there's life and activity, right? Things are metabolizing and firing and all these things going in on our body, 
right? If that's not working, we're going to die, right? If we're not growing spiritually, something is wrong. We need to wake up. We need to tune back in. We need to begin to put the things of God first in our life again. We should be growing, all right? Everybody with me? We should be growing. This is good. This is good. Verse three, by his divine power. This works by the divine power of God. It's not through human endeavor. It's not uh, white knuckles. It's, It's not through an effort of our flesh. This is the divine power of God working in us. And God has given us everything. God has given us some things. God gave you a little bit of it. God has given us everything. Look at these like superfluous, I don't even know if that's a word, I think it is, but they're like superfluous terms, like abounding and abundant and more and more, beyond. These are the terms that God's using describing the life that is in us, what God wants to manifest in us, right? He's given us everything we need for living a godly life, right? So, so, well, you know, I just got a bad habit. No. Don't settle for the bad habit. This is just my disposition. No. I've been this way my whole life. Don't settle for that. Allow the grace of God to change you. I'm not who I used to be 24 or 5 years ago when I got saved. I'm not who I used to be 20 years ago when I married this lady. She'll tell you I've changed. She'll tell you I'm still not perfect, but I have come a long, long way. The grace of God is working in my life. Amen? The grace of God is working in you to change you. Don't settle to be the same. Don't settle to live in sin. Don't settle to maintain bad habits. Don't settle to be angry and bitter and divided and whatever it might be. Grow in grace. Let what God has put in you come out of you. It's already inside of you. You have been regenerated. You have been regened. The old man's dead. There's a new man living on the inside of you. Amen? Let that new man live. Where are we at? Verse, we've got to get through this, don't we? This is exciting stuff to me. Verse four, and because of his glory and excellence, because of his glory, I think I skipped. We, let's go back in verse three. We have received all of this by coming to know him. That's how it works, by coming to know Jesus. Behold him, become like him, being forth his life. Get to know him, become like him, and live it out. Get to know Jesus. That's how this works. It's a relationship thing. Look at Jesus in the scriptures. Pray. Talk to him. Spend time with his people, and you're going to be transformed to be like him. Worship him, and you'll be changed. Pray, and you'll be changed. Know him, the one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of this glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises, check this out, that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused 
by those human desires that still live in us. The old man has been put to death by faith. How are we saved? By faith. How are we raised with Christ? By faith. How was that old man put to death? By faith. We don't see the, the full reality of that, but we receive it by faith. That old nature is dead. I live. Nevertheless, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Right? And that old man has been crucified with him. Right? We receive that. We accept that by faith. However, that those desires are still residing in us until we are glorified. Amen. Right? We've been justified when we've been, if, you, if you're saved, you've been justified. You're being sanctified and you're going to be glorified. What does that look like? You will look like Jesus in fullness in the life to come. You will be glorified even as he is glorified. But that's not yet manifest. And we still have to live with these carnal desires. Guess what? If you didn't know this, sin still resides in us. That's the teaching of Scripture. It still resides in us, but it does not control us. It does not dominate us. Why? Because the Spirit of God is resident inside of us, and it gives us victory. He causes us to triumph in all things. We can win the fight against the greatest sin in, sins in our lives through the power of God resident on the inside of us. Amen? We can have victory over sin. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore because the Spirit of God resides on the inside of you. Right? Amen. Amen. These are promises. And they enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Verse 5, in view of all this, make every effort. Make every effort. Work it out. You're not saved by works, but you are saved unto good works. Your, your, your good works cannot save you, but now that you are saved, you are saved under good works, and faith without works is dead. Amen? Amen? Work, strive, press. We need more pressing. We need more striving. We need more working in our Christian life because we have just settled back. This is just the way that I am. I really enjoy this lifestyle. Everybody else is doing it. Most other Christians that I know also do this. And we use all these lame excuses why we are living defeated lives. And we wonder why everything is so broke, busted, and disgusted in our lives. In view of this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. He's talking about how this works, and I would encourage, I don't have time to, to work through all this, another sermon for another day, but go and study this out, how this works. It's beautiful. Supplement your faith with generous, a generous provision of moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with patient endurance, and patient endurance with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. These things ought to be working in us and growing in us. We're adding virtue upon virtue. That's what he's saying there. 
verse 8, he says, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Well, that sounds an awful lot like legalism. Well, what you're talking about sounds like a whole lot of lawlessness and lasciviousness. James talks about the perfect law of liberty. It works by love. It's the law of love, and it's a pendulum. You never get off into legalism, and you never get off into lawlessness or lasciviousness. You're centered and balanced in Christ. Right? It's not about legalism, and it's not about lawlessness. See, we, we have a perception that at, because of what Jesus has done, fulfilling the law, that we ignore the law now. That's the way most Christians live their lives. It's an antinomian spirit, and it's the spirit, if you look at Timothy, he said would mark the end times, right? Lawlessness. We in the church have no regard of the law. Listen, we don't disregard the law. In fact, we, we should strive to fulfill it, not in a legalistic way, but, but through Christ, through the spirit of God. I believe the life in the spirit, if we live life in the spirit, we will fulfill the law of God. And it's summed up in those two things, right? Love, love God, love man as you love yourself. It's summed up in that. See, what, what has happened, we, our, our desires have changed. We need to understand this. At the new birth, our desires are radically changed. I don't have time to go through it and teach all this doctrine, but that's the reality of it. We'll look at it eventually. That's the reality. At the new birth, our desires are radically changed. I don't want to go get drop drunk as I used to do. I don't want to participate in all that garbage that I used to participate in. I don't want to listen to that music anymore. I don't want to participate in that garbage anymore. I have been changed. My desires and affections have been changed. Right? And now I want to live life to the Spirit of God. This is a reality that has escaped the church today. The Christian life should be marked by increasing holiness. The Christian, i, I got to say it again. The Christian life should be marked by increasing holiness, growing in godly character from faith to faith, from victory to victory, from glory to glory. If that statement's not true, then let's just throw that book, that, we just, that passage that we just read in Peter away because it is a call to moral virtue and excellence. It's a call to live like Jesus lived, right? To work, work, to work it out. Pursue holiness, Hebrew 12, 14 says. 1 Peter 1, 16 says, uh, the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. The Old Testament called for it. Jesus said the same words. Jesus called for it. Be holy for I am holy. But the reality is this, my outward compliance is insufficient to satisfy the law of God. That's a reality. We can pretend to be virtuous. 
We can pretend to be nice. We can sit on the pews and put the offering in the offering plate and wear the right clothes and say the right things and be lost. You see, there's a reality. This has to start on the inside, and it works its way out. Let's look at another very famous passage of Scripture in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out. Work out. The inside coming out. Work out. Those words are very purposeful. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. God is working in you. Let it work out of you. God has changed you. Let that manifest. God has redeemed you. Live like Jesus lived. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And, and it begins to address the, the, the heart issues that are, that are festering in this church, that are like, like cancers dividing this church. Do all things without complaining and disputing. The reason this divisions come into the church is because you have failed to allow the internal life of God to manifest in your midst. You're fighting and bickering, your motives are wrong, you're driving agendas and it's dividing the church. So start working out the inworking of God, right? Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. This is the call, church, to live a holy life, to be blameless, to be faultless in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, to shine as lights to radiate. The analogy in the Bible is that the church is the moon. We are the moon and Christ is the sun. The the moon has no light of its own. We radiate the light of Jesus Christ. If there is any good thing in me, it is not me. It is the virtue of Jesus Christ. It's the grace of God working in my heart. It's the transformation that God is working in me. Because I'm, I'm a wretch. but it's God working in us. I want you to understand this. Everything that pertains to life and godliness is deposited right here on the inside of you. The enemy is not fighting you over something that you don't have. You know why all hell breaks out against you? It's because you're on the verge of allowing the implanting of God to come out and manifest as fruit in your life. The enemy is coming with you with an all-out onslaught, demonic forces coming against you to keep this thing from happening, the outworking of the implanting of God. 
What God has already put in you coming out to the surface. The seed that's been sown manifesting in fruit. The enemy is fighting it. That's where the real battle is at. He doesn't want Christian maturity to manifest in your life. He doesn't want you to look like Jesus Christ. He doesn't want the fruit of the Spirit to be manifest in your life. He doesn't want those gifts operating in your life. He doesn't want you living as Jesus lived in this life. And so he's going to do everything that he can to suppress the truth of God, the, the, the grace of God, the power of God that's working on the inside of you and keep the inward planning of God from manifesting in your life. Christian maturity is the outworking of the inward planning of God. That's what Christian maturity is. It's this divine nature that Jesus has deposited in us. We have been regened, we have been regenerated, we have been born again with the nature of Jesus living on the inside of us, the Holy Spirit working in us. Sin resides in us, but you know why it won't dominate us? You know why it can't control us? Because Jesus resides in us. The greater one lives on the inside of us. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. How can sin have any victory over us? How can sin triumph over us? How can sin hold us bound? How can sin dominate our lives? How can sin be the disposition of the Christian when Jesus resides in us? It can't. It can't. The greater one is on the inside of us. And so our walk is to live life to the Spirit. It's a, it's a daily walk that we choose. Choose the grace of God. Choose the life of God. Choose to live to the Spirit of God. Choose to allow what God is working on the inside of you to come to the surface. It's in you. It's in you. Gentleness, it's in you. Kindness is in you. Generosity is in you. And I, I want to say this, there, there are nine gifts uh, li li listed in Galatians, or nine, nine fruits. That, that's not a comprehensive list. Everything that you see manifesting in Jesus is resident in you, believer. Child of God, saint of the most high, you are in Christ, and he is in you. That's a whole other sermon. Let it live out. Let it work out of you. I'm going to wrap up with this passage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable in the, to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of of darkness, but rather expose them. For once you were full of darkness, this is the New Living Translation, same passage. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them.
I want everybody to say change. change. We used to sing the song. I was singing it to my wife. Oh, that's Noah. <laughs> oh, that's, not, that's my son, not my wife. I was singing to her. It wasn't a romantic, so don't, don't get any ideas. I was singing this song to her, though. Something on the inside. Working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. How many of you know that song? Something on the inside. Working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. Child of God, if you will allow the Spirit of God to do its work in you, it will radically transform you. This Christian life is a partnership with the Holy Spirit that lives on the inside of us. Your, your, your marriage is only going to be as fruitful as you embrace your spouse. My wife and I have to endeavor to have unity. It takes work. We have to work at it. We haven't been stayed married for 20 years on accident. We've had to work at it. And the fruit of our marriage comes when we work through differences and we strive together. That, that's the call that God's calling us to, to have relationship with him by his spirit. And, and, and through that intimacy, through that relationship, we are changed. It's as simple as that. This, this woman right here has changed me. I used to tell her when we got married, you can't change me. But the, the fact is, really the Holy Spirit has, but he's used my wife as an agent of change. I've learned much through my wife. There, there, there are great strengths in the, the, the uh, English, British culture that, that, and the church culture over there that we don't have in the American church culture, and vice versa. I've changed my wife. She has changed me. How many of you know in South Texas you drink iced tea? Guess what? I, I don't remember the last time I had iced tea. It's been months. But I have had hot tea with cream. See, that's British. See, this woman has changed me. Right, Stephen? Stephen grew up eating meat and potatoes. Now he eats tacos, barbacoa. Come on. That woman has changed him. Right? When we get married, we are changed. We are married to Jesus it should have a changing effect on us. We are in relationship with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the more time that we spend, the more that his moral excellence and his virtue and his nature manifests in our lives. I am changed by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. His blood courses through my veins. His spirit has resonance in me. His nature is my genetic makeup, amen? I'm not an abuser anymore. I'm not a drunk anymore. I'm not a liar anymore. I'm not a thief anymore. I'm not a slanderer anymore. I'm not a gossip anymore. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's my identity. That's the way I want to live. I don't want to live down here in sin and compromise in worldliness. We have gotten too worldly in the church. We are embracing the, I don't get worship leaders that are wearing secular 
artist t-shirts. I don't get that. It makes no sense to me. That's just, I could go through long lists of things that, that grate me. Not only that, slinky dressed worship leaders or, or men and things that they shouldn't stand on pulpits in. I don't get it. We are not of this world. We are unique. We are called out. We are separate. We're called to be holy. We're called to live righteous. We're called to strive to live like Jesus lived in this life. Pursue holiness. Pursue it. Get after it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's no fear in trembling. But church, I am confident of this very thing that he who has begun the work will complete it. There's a true church, and Jesus is working in that church. He's working on the inside of his people. His nature is being shaped in them. The likeness and the image and the fullness of his glory is being perfected in us. And we won't see it on this side, but when we get there in fullness, what we desire to be, we shall be. For we shall be as he is. In the meantime, I'm just striving to do my best impersonation. Like the kid that puts on his daddy's shoes or grabs his daddy's glasses off the coffee table. I want to be like dad. I want to be like Jesus. That's the goal. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. We're going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would work in us and complete the work that you started. You have saved us and you've called us out, Lord, and it's not so that we could get stuck or lag behind, Lord God. Lord, we make the determination now. We forget the things that are behind us. We press for the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We won't be divided. We won't be gossips. We won't be liars. We won't be thieves. We won't be unkind. We choose, Lord, to be partakers of a better nature. Lord, our desire, like the psalmist said, Lord, we will not be satisfied until we awaken your likeness. Make us like you. Change us and transform us. Lord, I pray that every time we look into your word, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we look into, the veil has been taken away. The glory was fading with Moses, but now we go from glory to glory. The veil has been taken away from victory to victory, from faith to faith. We're increasing in wisdom of, and knowledge and understanding of you, Lord God. Work in us, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you would allow us, Lord, to see things that have encumbered us, things that have kept us, Lord, from having that intimate relationship with you, from walking with you, Lord God. Hallelujah. I hear the story of Ma and Paul. Ma and Paul were driving down the road in Paul's old farm truck. It's one of those old 1970s with a long bench seat. Paul's in the driver's seat. Ma's over by the window. Ma says to Paul, Paul, how come you don't sit close to me like you used to? How come you don't put your arm around me like you used to when we went down, driving down the road? And Paul said, Ma, I'm still sitting where I've always sat. 
It wasn't Paul. Paul's driving. Maul has slid over. Right? It's time to slide back over. I'm not talking about works of human effort. But I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus that produces a different nature, an outcome, an output in our life, different fruit, different manifestation. Lord, let it be worked in us. Let it be worked in us. Let me remind you as we're getting ready to dismiss, I'm gonna open up the altars to, to pray here in just a second, but let me remind you of this, Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And these things shall be added unto you. Let me encourage you, church, seek. Seek the kingdom. Seek his righteousness. Righteousness.